Good evening and uh, welcome to the latest event by the LSE Baltic Society. Uh, tonight we have the great pleasure of uh, hearing Professor Vitaltis Landsbergis uh, speak on uh, Europe's growth and decline. Um, this event has been organised by the LSE Baltic Society, uh, by the Baltic Vision Group and by the Lithuanian Embassy. And I would like to take this opportunity to thank them uh, for organising this. Um, my name is uh, Richard Mole. I'm a lecturer at UCL. I'm a lecturer in the politics of Central Europe. Um, and as everybody knows, the centre of Europe <coughs> is in Lithuania, uh, 16 miles to the north of Vilnius. So uh, hopefully that means I'm well placed uh, to be tonight's chair. Um, as a lecturer in Baltic uh, politics and society, it's a great pleasure to see so many uh, people attending a talk on uh, Lithuania and the Baltic region. Uh, when I started doing my research and studies in the Baltic region in the late 80s, I always had to spend a couple of minutes at the beginning of every presentation actually explaining where the Baltics were, uh, the fact that it wasn't Yugoslavia, that's the Balkans. Um, but the fact that um, I don't need to do that anymore uh, shows how firmly Estonia, Latvia and Lithuania have become embedded in uh, the global uh, political <coughs> consciousness. Uh, thanks in uh, large measure to uh, politicians like uh, Professor Landsbergis. Um, interest in the Baltic region has also um, given rise to a number, a growing number of um, societies and research groups on the Baltic region. Uh, the LSE is home to the Baltic Society. Uh, LSE graduates have set up the Baltic Vision Group. Uh, at UCL, we have established, uh, recently established the Nordic Baltic Research Group. Uh, we added Nordic to make sure that the Estonians turned up. Um, and we've just launched a new MA course on the politics of change in the Baltic states. Um, now, one man who has shaped the politics of change in the Baltic states more than most is uh, tonight's speaker, Professor Vitaltis Landsbergis. Professor Landsbergis is a professor of musicology, having graduated from the Lithuanian Conservatory of Music, where he also taught until 1990. Uh, he entered Lithuanian politics in 1988 as one of the founders of Sayudis, uh, the pro-independence movement. Um, and after Sayudis' victory in the 1990 elections, uh, he became chairman of the Lithuanian Supreme Council. <coughs> On the 11th of March, uh, 1990, um, he headed the parliamentary session which declared independence from the Soviet Union, the first uh, Soviet Republic to do so. Uh, from then until 1992, he was the head of state and since then has held numerous uh, important positions in Lithuania um, and in 2004 he was elected member of the European Parliament. He's received numerous awards uh, for his role in bringing about the independence of Lithuania and for the promotion of democracy and human rights, uh, including the French Légion d'honneur, the Grand Cross of the Norwegian Order of Merit, and the UNESCO Mer Mer uh, Medal, among many more. Um, today, Professor Landsbergis will be talking to us about Europe's growth and decline, and after his talk, he's agreed to take questions from the floor. Uh, so without further ado, it's my great pleasure to hand over to Professor Vitaltis Landsbergis. <coughs> Hello, colleagues, ladies and gentlemen. <coughs> Having been asked kindly to clarify the meaning of my topic, Europe's growth and decline, I added two more unclear sentences to be distributed. I don't know if it was done. It is something that Europe declined as a consequence of doubtful mentality, grow 
certain figures of population and average living standard does not mean growing happiness. More firmly, we can state about the growing frustration, and so on. Uh, I also will broaden the definition and decide here. Um, but you see from the beginning that it will be not a lecture about Baltic states and their liberation. Let it be left, if you have such an interest, for uh, questions and answers after uh, my main presentation. I, uh, so I'm not speaking about Baltic region, but about no, this another region, which is called Europe. Uh, indeed, some words uh, are so common and so commonly used that they are losing all clarity. Uh, and I will try to do uh, my best, or not the best. A growth. A growth is usually understood in terms of numbers or quantities. While the question of quality quite often is left aside. Even the formula quality of life seems to be unfortunately too often met and presented quantitatively, again in numbers. It seems that the basic question, are you happy, might be presumed as much too private and politically incorrect. Naturally, if you are not happy, your government is dead. Anyway, what happened with Europe? Is it happening? What is it, at the very least? Europe grew from an idea of Uh, leaving geography aside, it was about the most important spiritual matters realized as European ones. The tragic experiences of the last century contributed to that as well. Europeans have realized that common existence is more important uh, than constant fighting. Uh, to live and grow is better than to kill and die. Discover yourself among brothers, not enemies. Of course, a commune of brothers and sisters for a life in peace and for essentially a longer life than just your biological career. Such a commune always meant open or secret Christianity. The founding fathers of Europe, even before it was torn by them to peace and solidarity, were aware of Europe's Christian roots and did appreciate this fact. Uh, by ha uh, uh, happy chance, they were Christians themselves. Robert Schumann, Konrad Adenauer, Alcide de Gaspel. Usually the picture is presented as a series of events. The Second World War is allegedly over, with Central Eastern Europe still occupied, 
which means the USSR, and uh, which means also that war is not over. Occupation is a, uh, also one of the forms of war. Uh, but uh, then uh, immediately a new tension is again arising in the western part of our continent. The renewed competition of big companies and social depression makes that Europe unstable and vulnerable to communist influence and threats from the Soviet Empire just beyond the fence. Then comes an idea of European unification and it helps certainly together with the assistance of the Marshall Plan with resolute steps to build the transatlantic human of common defense NATO. Democracies simply want to survive. That was one side of the picture, the reverse rather than obverse. The idea of Europe was indeed something more than such urgent needs as defense. The idea was the building of Europe, of a Europe better than it had been before, a Europe better in a moral dimension. And pragmatism followed only as a supplement to the inspiring idealism, not the opposite way around. And nevertheless, capitalist <coughs> profit often tried to take the upper hand and to become the ruler of progress. Maybe it happened later. In the course of over 50 years, the word European, or the European idea was becoming a body able to live, grow, and mature in freedom. It should look exciting. There are no internal European wars anymore. Resolve your painful and burdening colonial legacy. Build a common <coughs> prosperous existence with improving living standards and the shining meat of the welfare state. Progressively, all three European states and nations enjoyed in this way the benefits of productive cooperation and deepened unification and proudly used to call themselves Europe. To call itself rightly half of Europe would be less popular. Therefore, toss the other side of the Iron Curtain, if times termed rather in the US captive nations, we are never called captive Europe. Free Europe did not feel badly about being only a half. The modest remark by Robert Schumann, Europe is to be completed, was left to await better times. They came. The problem of recognition and adoption of reality came in line with a discovery that the additional or the second Europe is still alive and goes on regaining its freedom. 
East Germany was assisted and followed by the other states of Central Europe and the Baltics. One and a half years after the three reform and liberation grassroots movements were established in the Baltic states, under, still under the Soviet system of governance, but already shaping its fundamentals, they went in millions to the Baltic way, uh, manifesting freedom. And then the Berlin Wall fell. Artificial and not true definitions were used for that discovery of the second new or post-communist Europe. Instead talking about one Europe, open for all wishing for and unifying in democracy. Idealism and pragmatism have been from then in a continuous debate, which recently is progressing in more and more open ways. What is at stake? And where is the end? Europe went forwards uh, by unifying markets, trade, enterprises, legislation, and judiciary, space for traveling and education, as you uh, may enjoy now, and was seeking until now, not very successfully, to have common external policy. It was Europe's growth in a dimension of maturity. The idea of one Europe was becoming embodied in reality in the West, step by step, I may say. Another dimension and track record was the territorial growth, called the enlargement of the EU. It was exercised not by any Grand Armée of Napoleon, but through free will accession, thanks to goodwill and good homework of more and more European states. Now, Balkans are told, make your homework, not Georgia yet. The greatest breakthrough on this part happened when 10 Central European states, formerly captive nations, including those from Bal Baltic Sea to Black Sea coasts, joined the Union in 2004 and 2007. An even greater European breakthrough <coughs> is in the mindset. It already happens when an additional group of Western Balkan states is expected to be ready to join the Union in the foreseeable future. Turkey has already been accepted as a long-term candidate and Croatia as a short-term one. And still more Eastern European countries, at least the Ukraine and Georgia, disputed with Europe by Russia, are waiting to be sincerely and definitely invited uh, by the Union to approach and exceed. Many say that the recent enlargement 
was the main success story for Europe. After the Cold War was over, some say it brought new problems. Therefore, some old newcomers, Europeans, became uncertain and unhappy. I say the openness of the picture is also growing in Europe's mind. No more debates about whether the Caucasus is Europe or not. Even the unfortunate bleeding Chechnya, having been subjected to the genocide in a lavatory, in line with the vocabulary of Mr. Putin, is understood now as the remotest corner of Europe. Therefore, our vows as well. In expectation of Turkey's membership towards the distance, the map of the EU will grow essentially in geopolitical sense. This candidate country and member of NATO is already now on the outskirts of the turbulent Caucasus and borders Iraq. So will the EU approaching <coughs> the Middle East. Over there, there is already at least one European-type democracy, the State of Israel. Despite criticism of it, it is hard to believe that Europe could allow Israel to be destroyed. Therefore, the Middle East is already becoming for the EU itself, with Turkey as a member or not yet, a field of competition with Iran. If we like it or not, it is coming. Palestine and Lebanon, just next to Syria, are European challenges as well. Even Central Asia uh, may become a new opportunity for Europe. And whole states, not by accident, are defining themselves in a more open perspective as Eurasian, not Asian, Eurasian one. Even some part of Kazakhstan is in Europe geographically. To add, uh, the fresh idea of the Mediterranean Union shows us how the previous European idea of only several founding states is expanding now in its virtual geopolitical growth. Remarkably, the possibly real expansion of the Gazprom Union, you know, there are provisions and uh, maybe dreams that European Union should be replaced by Gazprom Union. Mm -hmm. uh, so that expansion of Gazprom Union doesn't tend to take Algeria and Libya first to make Russia a Mediterranean power sooner of Europe. Is Europe really ready to be a player and not a victim missing its time chances? That is the question. Just next to Europe there is Russia. All 
also seeking to be a global Eurasian player. Paradoxically, it was offered a plus darm exactly inside of Europe and the EU. Such was the result of World War II and the then weakness of the Western victors, the Königsberg Kaliningrad Exclave. Eurasian militant imperialism in the very middle of Central Europe was a pretty gift of those unfortunately losing victors. And the US and UK in 1945 delivered it to Stalin. Uh, there are great similarities with the victors of the Cold War. <coughs> so Russia, not so much a, a loser in the Cold War as a loser in its post-Cold War striving for democracy. Otherwise, if neither democracy nor human life is an asset, there are no other losses for the Russia of today but the territory. Russia's passion uh, to regain them back was recently manifested by the occupation and annexation of parts of Georgia. To remake Western democracy uh, by completely corrupting them, that would be the sweetest dream and global victory for the Kremlin. To make them, Europeans, progressively obedient, that was the Putinist energy strategy. Uh, today it seems to have been postponed a little by the avalanche of international financial problems, shattering Russia's unsound economy as well. <coughs> All those challenges, please. All those challenges uh, come in a bad moment of decline of Europe's spiritual and moral identity together with its demography. After a period of official joy with the growing unification and territorial enlargement when the milestones were Paris, Rome, Maastricht, Nice, and recently Lisbon, and after the people's indifference and reluctance result, resulted in the failure of the Constitution for Europe at the first stage, the European consciousness has partly turned back to more essential idealism. What are the uh, was it all right until now? And was it adequate? What we have to work about. Is Europe, while striving to be geographically completed, mature enough in itself and complete, complete in its spirit to withstand global challenges? Here again comes the concept, union of values. Sounds well. Subsequently, it requires some consideration as to where and what we 
are Europe and Europeans short of existential determination about our values. And again, Hamlet's question, to grow or to decline. I'm sorry to say, both processes proceeded synchronically. Now on decline. Consumerism as the European way of life appears not as a value in any sense, but the pomp of all other senses. It causes and especially cultivates the poorest ideology for the rich and the poor, in the same sense, about what human happiness is. The dolce vita of being rich, and that's all. The idea of a short life, so similar to an insect's time, given over to one day's pleasure and adventure, is again the fertilizer for the culture of death, as John Paul II described that feature of our times. In line with that consumerism, as a form of egotism in human hearts that are empty and disabled for compassion and a wish to help, is causing the perversely promoted alienation from children. Too often they are treated as a burden and not a joy and a sense of life. To put it brutally, millions of unborns are treated as tumors cannot pass by without affecting our societies with increasing brutalities and cruelties. The direct result of such an approach is the evident decline in European demography. Less and less love and children. An aging society. And sweet hopes of immigration In this way, Europe will soon become very bitter. God help us to regain and preserve the forgotten Christian value of proletariat. Uh, let it be sent also to skinheads of all sorts. Nature is exploited as if it were not our house, but our conquest. Too little attention is given to nature's signals transmitted to us by its body language. Disasters caused by typhoons, earthquakes and tides, the ever new diseases, the incredible suffering of polluted seas and oceans, loss of ice and water for lands. The world's ocean as a one is rising and continues to do so. Sometimes it looks like nature is becoming ready for reasons of self-defense to get rid of the parasitizing humans. 
went crazy by topos. From crazy to topos. The crazy by topos, the creature on two legs, is eager to use even the earthquakes and typhoons, not to mention the newly invented diseases, as weapons against other human beings. This also will not pass unpunished. There again is a fundamental decline with no bottom in sight. Europe is talking about fundamental principles, but is not able to simply say no. Sometimes it says that to China, but never to Russia. Now the U.S. is proceeding to delay no in its relations with China. Maybe together they both will say no to Russia. And maybe on the contrary, the U.S. will prefer to love Russia as a maiden. While calling for transparency, Europe is not yet introducing any transparency in its relations with Russia. Even more, while giving a rare and good pieces of advice on recognition and reconciliation, our Europe or the EU is yet unable to cope or reconcile fully with its own past. Let us once again remember World War II in the real circumstances and consequences. Then something big and ugly happened. The selling of the second half of Europe to the USSR. At the subsequent Tehran, Yalta, Potsdam auctions. Later, the three Western victors administered uh, their corresponding zones of the occupied Germany with no concern for what the Soviets were doing in their occupational zones, where even the Nazi death camps of Buchenwald and Sachsenhausen were used for the uh, same purposes of annihilation, having been officially incorporated in the, into the Soviet gulags. The population of today's Kaliningrad Oblast was left to Stalin's mercy with no word about false people in the Potsdam deal. It's only about territory, if it would be empty desert. Here the first European ethnic cleansings of post-war times took place. Nobody knows. Finally, the question of partners for today. Uh, tell me, Europe, who is your friend? I don't know, girlfriend or boyfriend. Who is your friend? And I will know who, uh, who you are. <coughs> it's very old sentence. In politics, uh, that word friend is replaced by partner and 
various combinations in personal life also Partnership for peace, extended partnership, strategic partner. The latter looks very much like a desired friend. Eastern partnership uh, looks now like an extended hand of sincere and honest European assistance to our Eastern neighbor. The EU often calls Russia its strategic in the energy business and in fighting terrorism. The foreseen merge of aviation and media, look at the evening standard becoming morning star, is also possible. And the problem is that this partnership contains different meanings for both sides. In the Western understanding of partnership, it is cooperation with mutual benefits. The Soviet as well as Russian post-Soviet view is different. It is rather similar to gambling or playing sports. Accordingly, your partner is an adversary and opponent to be put down. And all beneficial awards from the game are granted yours. Only the pleasure Europe now finds itself at a moral crossroads, and the overwhelming post-Christian Christian relativism makes it difficult to choose the way to be called European. And Russia is a grim mirror to that situation. Thus, for the end, I used a magic mirror. Strangely, most of uh, EU politicians like to repeat mantras about the strategic partnership with Russia, but avoid defining the content and differences between the strategies of both. Many are still happy with the paper signed on four common areas. One among them is for justice, freedom, and human rights since for Russia there is little compliance with reality. Are we in a common area when we look at Chechnya reduced to ashes and ruins for its political disobedience? Are we in a common area with authoritarian governance at home and professional killers sent to London? Therefore, common values with Russia are too often put at the expense of ultimate incredibility as to what further European values are. One could say something fantastic. If you still want to remain Europeans in spirit and free from the Kremlin's dictate, practically combined with bribery, you must at least show some moves towards living without Russia. With your seat belts fastened, say, we can. It is the only way 
to get the uh, Kremlin to think normally, even on the tricky subject of interdependence, I think it is the only way. Such a way seemed to be too demanding for Western politicians, at least before the Georgian war, and Russia, Ukraine, and European gas crisis erupted synchronically with the world's financial crisis. Just in theory, that utopian idea of living for some time without Russia before it comes to its senses would mean that the illusions about welfare and leadership would be frozen. If not for the recent shift of preferences, it would be seen as too high a price, not worth to be paid for U European liberty plus identity. To say move is simpler. Uh, words, words, and words about community of values cannot cover up the erosion of those values and the creeping disbelief. The real values, today's real values, are mostly material, not moral ones. Therefore, if we wish to retain our European identity, that situation with our eroding values should be reversed. Maybe it was reversed already before when the sound teaching of Benjamin Franklin was refused so much unwisely. 250 years ago, Mr. Franklin issued a little book about experiences of one character, given the name Poor Richard. What follows? are some quotations from poor Richard's advice 250 years ago. I quote, if you would be wealthy, think of saving as well as of getting. The Indians have not made Spain rich because her outgoes are greater than her incomes. Plundering of India's Peru <laughs> or Mexico did not make Spain rich because her outgoes were greater than her incomes. Away then with your expensive follies and you will not have the then so much reason to complain of hard times, heavy taxes, and chargeable families. If you would know the value of money, go and try to borrow some. For he that goes a borrowing, goes a sorrowing as poor Richard said. 
thought I had at first determined to buy stuff for a new coat. I went away, resolved to wear my old one a little longer. Reader, if two wills do the same, high profit will be as great as mine. The end of quotations from Benjamin Franklin, one of the fathers of wealthy America, before America conquered the teaching. I'm not aware if Rich Gordon is aware about poor Richard's wisdom, but that letter is worthy to be taken on account. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, all that is your free choice, really. And the current situation calling for a new European self-determination may even turn out to be helpful. There is a chance anyway. Not everything can be privileged. Sometimes utopias become realities. A new philosophy of life is needed. Otherwise, the life itself is not so much needed. And the culture of death is gaining ground. That new philosophy should be based on love, not consum consumption. While the growth of consumption goes in line with decline of love, that is what we have got always. And it may become even worse, threatening our entire Western civilization. Uh, sorry to end on such a warning, uh, but I only try to share with you my observations and concerns before wishing everybody be lucky. You will find more on the subject in my book, Crossroads of Europe, which I leave for your school library. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, Professor uh, Landsbergis has very kindly agreed to take questions, and we have uh, quite a bit of time. Um, are there microphones, or will people have to? Yes, uh, there are microphones at the back. Um, so if you'd like to ask a question, please put your hand up and then wait for uh, one of the um, mic attendants to come down. So I could ask you to um, say who you are um, before you uh, ask a question. Uh, would you prefer individual questions, or should we group them? If they can make a group. Yes, let's do that. <laughs> If they agreed in advance. <laughs> so there are a number at the front. Gentlemen. Gentlemen, first one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you. 
thank you. Uh, my, my name is John Hume, and I'd like to ask uh, Professor um, about the relationship with Russia. Can the rest of Europe ever look at Russia as, as it were, um, a normal country in having a normal relationship? Or is an atmosphere of you know, suspicion going to continue uh, for the foreseeable future? It still remains, as we know, a very unstable country. Thank you. Uh, we, at least in Lithuania, still say, uh, stay in a sus suspicion that Russia can become a democracy in some not very short future. That is the fundamental suspicion uh, uh, which uh, encourages us to be patient, uh, to avoid conflicts greater as are proposed by Russia itself. Uh, and sometimes, of, of course, there are complicated situations when, uh, when Europe and Union is not uh, equally sensitive <laughs> to uh, dangers, I could say, and wrongdoings which are going on or maybe planned yet. We don't know after the war in Georgia who is the next. But nobody said that it was one great mistake and will be never repeated. No, Kremlin does not say it. Kremlin is happy to give uh, giving a lesson, and it can be repeated. So in this uh, situation of uh, what I could say, real, uh, real situation, reality, reality show is not always uh, very joyful. Maybe it's interesting from a side, but you, if you are participant in a reality show and others are looking from a side and they could ask you what is your feelings. Hello, uh, Andrew Robertson from Baltic Vision Group. Um, thank you for your talk. Um, I'm interested to know when and why you identified yourself as a conservative, um, whether you were inspired by traditions of conservatism in other parts of the world, or whether you, something particular comes from Central Europe, or whether you were simply differentiating yourself from the Soviet experience. I like uh, one definition uh, what I have heard already after I became one of founders of party, of conservative party and so on, definition about what is conservatism. It is, uh, I know, uh, sound reason. Sound reason philosophy and uh, politics out of doctrines, avoiding Doctrinism. Doctrinism is more dangerous as sound reason based on values what conservatives uh, uh, 
criticism uh, looks at the history and uh, at the achievements of humankind, uh, that they are some milestones and uh, fundamentals on which the future may be built. Uh, absolutely contrary to the uh, hymn of the international, communist international. Everything is to be destroyed and built anew. Conservatives don't think so, that everything is to be, be destroyed. But there are a lot of useful and very important elements in our mentality, in our valuation of, of sense of life, which should be preserved. Conservation is preservation. Hello, um, my name is Jubile. I'm an international politics student, and I have a question regarding the uh, decline of Europe. I mean, um, according to you, Europe lacks unity and common values. And um, I think that recent events show that all policies in European Union are still made by nation states as they are the main actors who determine which way European Union should act. So um, I really don't think that European Union will ever become as united as you're saying. And um, I think that that is why European Union is declining because they're incapable of producing any any, I mean, any like precise policies, neither towards Russia or, or now in, in during the credit crunch. I mean, Europe is in a big mess. Don't you think this is the, the reason for decline? As I see the decline is uh, decline in culture. Culture is everything what uh, uh, people think and do. What a sense of a relationship are they building between themselves, between the group, between nations? What they want from the life? And uh, Europe is uh, on declining line from that great previous period when European culture was built on Christianity. Now it is even incorrect to say loudly that Europe should uh, stay Christian. Uh, anyway, what you say, but what you think and what you value, that is important. And uh, I follow it, the course of debates on uh, constitution for Europe as it was drafted uh, by politicians no, led by French political philosophers and politicians. And I remember well one presentation of Giscard d'Estaing to the European Parliament when they were already at the end of the work and he uh, presented this understanding of Europe 
which was concentrated in the preamble, debated, long debated preamble, but uh, finally it was uh, drafted in such a way of what Giscard uh, d'Estaing presented us, that Europe has two fundamental pillars from the past. One is the law of Pericles, and the second is the Enlightenment period. It was very clear, quite two, two millennium uh, of Christian Europe is a gap in that understanding. What to say? Maybe it is a legacy of Enlightenment. But uh, it is a short-sighted view, because even Robert Schumann commenting uh, that period of establishment of fundamental human values, freedoms, and declarations of civic rights, and so on, uh, when the church was not mentioned, and church sometimes was seen as an adversary in politics. Uh, but Schumann uh, have seen and stating clearly that uh, old horse concepts and old thinkers, even if they did not consider themselves as Christians, they were Christians in the basic roots of mentality, of thinking about uh, no value of human being. That it is not an accidental, not a trash. It has it brings a responsibility. Is for something as it is from Christianity. It's going from, from Christianity. The man is for something. The man uh, has a duty duty not only to government. There, there, are, there is other government. <laughs> uh, we've got four lined up already. Um, woman in the white and then if, the if it is orange. lost, If it is lost step by step, that is a, a fundamental decline. And Europe, you know, uh, is becoming worse. <laughs> well, that it is a long uh, in this uh, book, you will find more materials <laughs> if you will offer the time. <laughs> Good evening. Uh, my name is Vida Filmanovichuta. I'm a member of Baltic Vision Group. And once again, thank you very much for coming here to give this talk this evening. Um, my question is a bit on, more on a positive note. What do you think? Um, what is your opinion about Baltics and the Baltic countries? Do they have a special role to play in the new, in the new era of Eurasia, as you, as you mentioned, and with the experience that we have from the previous times, the USSR times, the Cold War times, now being a part of a Europe, uh, Western Europe and EU? So what do you think? Is there a role... Baltics could play in 
in the positive development of, of future Europe. Thank you. Thank you. I hope so. I would not uh, uh, like to see Baltic uh, states uh, related in some way with Eurasia. Uh, Eurasia is euphemism uh, of uh, Russian imperialist geopolitics. Uh, when they wanted to underline the distancing from uh, European values and requests to follow common universal values, the line of Putinist state philosophy was that there are no universal values. Let you have your values. If you want uh, to no, uh, uh, to broaden them, if you wants to uh, go with those values, you are colonists. It is colonialism. European thinking uh, about universal values. In some sense, in arts, uh, there are some reasons not to be mistaken by thinking that European arts are of highest quality and Asian civilization, they arts are sort of folklore. But uh, this mistake is already out of business. <laughs> In my short life, I have seen <laughs> that the approach is changing about a variety of uh, great musical cultures uh, and not treating uh, that a European or Western as professional high and Indian raga music or others as non-professional folk music. It was very stupid view. <laughs> now it is changed. But uh, in um, let's say in moral policies, I could say uh, they, we are coming again uh, to the understanding of what, not who, but what is the man man as an uh, individual, human being, what is it, and uh, has it, he or she, a definition common for all such creatures on the globe. I think they are fundamental moments, ability to love, uh, to love the life, uh, to love the nature, to love your sweetheart, to love your children, to love your country. It is ability of all human beings, and maybe they are also grounds to think that no, Christian values are there, are very near. And other great religions are also uh, telling about it as not claiming the hatred and annihilation of enemies. Uh, they are perverse 
conceptual uh, uh, formations of religions, maybe in Christianity there were also sometimes such perverse interpretations when crusaders came to still not Christian Lithuania, killing those not baptized Lithuanians as uh, the children of Ivar. They, such things happened in the past and even in recent days. Uh, a religion of hatred is also uh, just here. We could say it if there is if his God, there is a Satan also. But uh, I don't want to fall in some uh, uh, theological philosophy uh, about the fundamentals of human being of, on this earth. But if there are no ground then we are facing recently very interesting uh, connotations. As I noticed for myself, already being in European Parliament, you know, something uh, about humans as a highest developed primate. So, my uh, dear primates, <laughs> if you agree, <laughs> or maybe you are a little concerned, uh, hey, indeed, uh, what is, there are common uh, features of behavior with <laughs> primates, of course. <laughs> if sometimes even other uh, animals uh, look wise, wiser of people, <laughs> and not so cruel as people, that's the first point. They are not enjoying so much by killing. Okay. Uh, but uh, no, they are, uh, there is a field for self-determination uh, in the framework of our civilization when we are looking uh, from the past to what we came and what will be tomorrow. Tomorrow in Europe is, will be a mixture of much greater variety of religions and uh, laicism, uh, sometimes becoming intolerant. Very interesting to look uh, how the Christianity is hated by former Christians. What an intolerance is exposed so often to those who still dare to recognize themselves and publicly that they are Christian. It is sometimes similar to the first ages of Christianity. Not catacombs yet, <laughs> but sometimes in society uh, they are uh, similar to catacombs. Uh, to what it may develop, I don't know. Maybe it could
could be very strange uh, things uh, when in the grow of Islamic believers, uh, the number of uh, Islamic believers is growing in Europe. If they, they have a wise leader and thinker, uh, they are common ground for all believers, Christians, Jews, and Muslims, uh, to be in one family, uh, saving the world from insanity of belief, of non-believer. It was great when John Paul II went to Islamic country, Kazakhstan, and uh, spoke to millions about us. As we have the same father, we are brothers. What name is different? The same father. There are different names. I met it once in one of uh, encyclopedia as drafted. It was so primitive that I was shocked. It was only a draft. Alec is the name of God of Muslims. Right, yes? Different gods. Maybe fighting in heavens, yeah? <laughs> Therefore, then people have to fight on the earth. And uh, whose God is stronger? <laughs> Those will win. <laughs> but it is an abyss. Uh, but John Paul II was a in his wisdom, professing such a view. We are brothers. We have the same father. Well, it would be very strange development if ecumenism of Christian churches will go spreading and, and uh, joining Judaism joining Islam, not as a part of Christianity, but as an entity of believers in a father, that there is something, somebody, or there is nothing. That is a fundamental difference which uh, makes our life different, and our valuation of life different. And uh, that's about the sense of life. If there is no sense, only that short period of time which is given to you to enjoy. Same as butterfly. It is uh, such philosophy also. Uh, but I uh, see that it is the source of the deepest frustration of senseless existence. And also existentialism touched this. A real sober understanding of your existence, of uh, being so unhappy, brought into this terrible world.
for a short time of suffering. Please. Yes. Um, I may uh, collect a few. There seems to be quite a few um, lining up. There's the lady in the orange, uh, and then the gentleman in the blue. Hello. It was very nice to listen to you. Thanks for coming. Uh, I'm Irena Lincoln from Company Direct Medium. I would like to ask you, we were talking a lot uh, about quite a high spectrum, political spectrum from Lithuania, but I would like to ask you, what do you think about demographical situation inside Lithuania and, uh, and about political health in Lithuania? If about Lithuania, you may join maybe others. If about Lithuania, but I will not jump from one question to another. Are there other questions relating to Lithuania? The purple and the... My name is Margarita. I'm an international politics student. Uh, just want to ask, Lithuania, even being a small country and joined European Union just in 2004, is there anything Lithuania actually can do to help to encourage the growth or just to follow the decline of European Union, as you said, and especially in terms of Lithuanian presidents in 2012? Is there anything Lithuania could do special, something important, or just going to be another formality? Thank you. Um, you touched the aspects of, um, of morality, of European mo morality. I'd like to jump to Lithuanian morality. Um, in 2005, the current uh, British Prime Minister, Gordon Brown, in Scottish newspaper, The Scotsman, wrote uh, that um, the war in Iraq will serve the UK's economic interest. Talking about Lithuanians' involvement in war in Afghanistan, uh, do you think uh, that Lithuanians' position um, is immoral uh, as cooperator with countries which wage wars uh, to benefit uh, their economies? Thanks. First, about uh, democracy, development of democracy, and the problems with democracy, and uh, uh, political culture, maybe, if I understood some. Uh, the political, the polit politi policies uh, uh, is a part of culture. And uh, the political culture is a very important thing but it cannot be very different uh, from the uh, culture, let us say, in general or uh, corporate culture which uh, contains everything. The part of that corporate culture is also policy. Uh, 
not a perfect situation in this case. No? Is better uh, as in Russia or Belarus or in Middle Asia. Uh, it uh, we would like to see it improved and uh, more based on the people's valuation and feelings about the values indeed there's a very simple thing uh, the level of corruption and the level of corruption is great uh, maybe not so great as in UK Maybe there are higher levels touched by corruption. I, I suppose only what happened in this moment when UK uh, ha having a clear and clearly defined position about divorcing Georgia uh, changed the stance in 180 grade in one day after Mr. Deripaska from Russia visited London with nice proposals of great business. And making business with Russia, uh, some positions are better of others. Uh, there are a variety of forms of corruption, uh, not especially direct, given money to the Prime Minister or to the Foreign Minister, Secretary, Foreign Secretary, maybe not, but the interest of the state as it is um, understood by recent government uh, may be influenced also by money. So, uh, but coming back to Lithuania, uh, when uh, people see the scandals of corruption, and not all them are fought successfully by judiciary, uh, quite often you can have a suspicion that if corrupted person is on high level, uh, that case uh, maybe will not proceed the court. Uh, they are grounds uh, for, uh, for disbelief in democracy <coughs> and uh, it is not so easy to insist uh, telling to the people that everything is in, in their hands. There is still a democracy. You can change uh, the ruling <laughs> groups, even those who are in a background, not seen openly as political parties, may be touched by your vote and by your selection a 
is a situation with democracy and political culture in Lithuania for today. Not very brilliant, but not hopeless. And uh, then you may decide, is this glass half empty or half full? Now I can't, it is rather more empty. It is the same, democracy and political culture. It depends very much on a, a respect and uh, no, deserved respect of the courts, of the judiciary. There we have much to do with in Lithuania. We inherited old system and old judges from Soviet time. And it is, situation is changing very slowly. And they are always a ways and means how to influence judgments and how to get decisions in the courts, not uh, absolutely fear. They are questions how to build up and to better and better our democracy, not to falling in such a swamp as is Russia. There is no judiciary, not directed from the authorities. Khodorkovsky case is the perfect example, as well as killings of journalists and politicians no one was discovered. <coughs> uh, what uh, important and uh, significant uh, Lithuania can do? Lithuania did something. Lithuania contributed to that European map what you have now. It is very different from the European map 20 years ago. And Lithuania was an activist fighting for itself, but it became a part of common fight for a better arrangement. <coughs> uh, what Lithuania may do after it, when this situation of dissolution of Soviet empire and transformation into a new or not new restored states as Baltics and new states. Sometimes Georgia is called new state, but Georgia was a kingdom of King David, and they have now a flag of King David, <laughs> manifesting that they are very old European <laughs> kingdom state. Uh, so this is very interesting region. Uh, what is going, uh, what developments are going on. Uh, the world is changing. And in this post-Soviet, no, post-Soviet, we are not post-Soviet, but anyway, uh, events there and changes there are of great importance. And uh, there is a field 
goodwill and badwill as well. Uh, Lithuania is doing uh, something positive, supporting the trend towards democracy in our eastern neighborhood. Uh, calling uh, for solidarity. When we see the common challenges. And sometimes those challenges are going not from the East only, uh, but sometimes from the lack of understanding in West. Or when the far West is becoming too much pro-Eastern. We ha have had the same problem from the 1990s on our way to independence. When West supported us in principle, but not so much in practice. When uh, they did not want to make a trouble for Mr. Gorbachev. And Lithuania was a troublemaker. Finally, it went well. Finally, we have a new map of Europe, a much greater European Union as a family of democracies. Uh, somewhere democracies are more perfect, sometimes less perfect. But even those who think they are more perfect sometimes show imperfectness also. So we have uh, much to do and to do together. It is not so that there are some great uh, European states, sometimes called the core of Europe, core countries, which should lead to establish the rules norms and those smaller and weaker should follow. It is not so. Uh, there are different views of course on that. Is that the role uh, of great European countries indeed such positive and only troublemakers are creating obstacles for better results or uh, maybe it is also so that those uh, uh, dissidents in some questions uh, are remedy from greater mistakes. That is about Lithuania's role. And morals. Uh, morals about participation in wars. First, Afghanistan. Uh, it's worthy to remember uh, that uh, government of Afghanistan, Taliban government, was sheltering the most dangerous organization of international terrorists, uh, which attacked the United States, one of NATO member states, and in accord with the fact response uh, should be a common one against aggression. 
not proved yet, would be a common response if a small state, small member state of NATO would be attacked, as Estonia was attacked. They, uh, uh, there was no common response. Uh, but uh, let be not uh, challenged uh, further. Uh, but uh, in that line with that attack, when President uh, uh, Bush Jr. was challenged in the most terrible way, how to respond. I remember his clarification that if you are stepping back uh, after being attacked by terrorists, uh, no, you are, uh, let us say, uh, capitulating. You may capitulate step by step. You will be attacked as those who are taking hostages. If you pay money, they will take more. It is always a moral challenge for those responsible of liberating your hostages or paying money for criminals, encouraging them to continue. Uh, then Lithuania was a member of NATO. We wanted to be trustful member uh, with an idea that if Lithuania is attacked, the NATO will also help us. And therefore, I don't see any wrong doing or wrong decision uh, to be an, in a coalition in Afghanistan. I don't know who uh, likes when Taliban guys are bombing the schools for girls because it is uh, the teaching of girls is banned. And uh, it is better to kill the little girls uh, than to educate them. I don't think it is an aggression to go and to defend those girls and to fight Taliban. Maybe it could be differently. Uh, then Iran. Uh, Lithuania is also there. Uh, what to say about war in Iraq in accord with interest of a single country or not? Not compliant with the interest of a single country. Uh, as I see it, that is again a general question. Uh, could be a hope. Uh, of course, the uh, first question uh, about Hussein, about dictatorship of Saddam Hussein. Abstract uh, political uh, evaluation could say, let be every dictator, they are legitimate. I don't think that Stalin was very legitimate or uh, Hussein uh, had a legitimacy to annihilate uh, his own people. Uh, let it be still open question. 
But when the United States decided to intervene in Iran and to abolish Saddam Hussein, who was supportive for terrorist actions, paying money for terrorist organizations, paying money for suicidal killers, and threatening the international peace as well as tomorrow Iran may threaten international peace by attacking Israel. It would be again an enormous challenge, not only for the United States but also for Europe. Very open question would be, uh, are we going to sell Israel or not? Or to defend or be involved in a war with Iran? And not we are manipulating the situation. Mullahs may manipulate the situation. And Israel may act on his own hand in a despair also. It is a very dangerous and it's not easy to say, let them go to an abyss. We are uh, going to our isolationism. Let United States be care about United States, Europe only about Europe. If those Arabs are so crazy, let them kill each other. It will not stay. Now the world is so interactive. Therefore, I uh, cannot say that Lithuania is an aggressor along with the United States in Afghanistan, or it, is, uh, it was not worthy to assist in a coalition in, in Iraq. If it is possible that Iraq may become a more democratic, I guess uh, many of us follow it, events, including political events there. And long plays of people uh, desiring to vote, first time in life, forced to vote for their own government, especially women. They have given the right of normal human beings to go and vote for your country, despite of uh, all warnings that they will be bombed, shot, killed, they consider that this expression of will is a life. They are a fighter without any arms, only going to vote. I could not suggest to leave them for those insane bombards. It's not our case, not our business to be there. It is our business, we are too weak to be in Darfur. We, uh, Europe could not prevent genocide in Rwanda. There are a lot of uh, sides in the world when terrible things are going on. And isolationism is 
little less more as interventionists. <laughs> Let me use this word. Thank you. I'm afraid um, it's already gone 8 o'clock. Um, I realize there are more of you wanting to ask questions. Uh, but unfortunately, we're going to have to bring this to a close. Um, if you would like to uh, hear Professor Landsberger's speech again, um, the podcast of the lecture will be available on the Baltic Society website and on the LSE website um, next week or two, perhaps, or soon, sooner than that. And also questions at the sponsor? Yes, yes and those as well. Um, so I would just like to end by uh, thanking our speaker for a very interesting and thought-provoking uh, talk, uh, and I hope you all 